welcome to Moki's Birth School Online. Our free classes cover all aspects of pregnancy, birth and beyond, with experts who can answer all of your questions. Classes will take place twice a week, but you will also be able to discuss any subject on Moki's Helping Mums Facebook group. You will also be able to listen back to each session on this podcast. Do get in touch if you have any comments or questions. Please email us, helpingmums at moki.eu. In this episode, Sophie Martin, otherwise known as the infertile midwife, talks about induction. Welcome to this session on induction of labour. Now, induction is where health professionals try and help your body go into labour. There's a similar process called augmentation as well. And this is where your body has already started to go into labour itself, but didn't quite get there or it's stalled. So if your waters broke and you didn't go into labour, that's called an augmentation, not an induction. Although the process is very similar. So if you're having contractions and they slowed down and you decided they needed some help to speed them up again, that's an augmentation. Whereas if we're giving you contractions from scratch, that's an induction. There are many reasons why you might be recommended to have an induction. This might be because you're overdue, because you're over 40 years old, because you have diabetes, the baby might be on the smaller side, you have high blood pressure. There's a whole host of reasons and those are just a few. Now being induced is fairly common. About 20% of women will need to be induced. The most common reason for being induced is because you've gone overdue. Now we consider term to be from 37 to 42 weeks, which means we expect most babies to be born within this window. After 42 weeks, there's some evidence to suggest that the placenta doesn't quite function so well. So it's tend to be recommended that if you haven't gone into labour by 42 weeks, an induction should be offered. Um, But check with your midwife the exact policy of your hospital because most hospitals were recommending induction somewhere between 41 and 42 weeks. So check when your hospital are recommending that. Induction can seem like a daunting process, but by breaking it down and explaining each step, I'm hoping that you won't feel quite so intimidated if you do need to be induced for any reason. So let's start by going through the induction process. Now, firstly, you can have a sweep. This isn't a formal part of the induction process. However, it can make having an induction slightly easier or hopefully could help you avoid having one in the first place. So I'll quickly explain what a sweep is. It's sometimes called a membrane sweep or a stretch and sweep. Now, during a sweep, the midwife or the doctor will perform a vaginal examination. And that's where two fingers are inserted into your vagina. The midwife then locates your cervix and often the cervix is pointing backwards towards your bottom at this stage, which can make it a little bit uncomfortable, but it shouldn't be painful. Once the midwife has located your cervix, if it's open, she sweeps round in a circular motion with her fingers. And if the cervix isn't open, then we can just massage around the outside. Now the sweep is more effective if the cervix is already open. And you can usually be offered a sweep from 40 weeks onwards. Now, there's no conclusive evidence to suggest how many sweeps is the optimum or how often you should be having them or at which gestation they're most effective at. So there's a lot of unknowns. However, sweeps are quite an effective way of helping you avoid an induction. But you don't have to have a sweep if you don't want one. So moving on to the 
more formal induction process. It does vary from hospital to hospital, but the basic principle remains the same. So there's usually two stages. The first stage is where we're trying to encourage your cervix to open. And the reason that we want the cervix to be open is so that we can break your waters. We know that breaking the waters is a really great way to encourage labour. For over 50% of women, once their waters have been broken, within 24 hours, they'll go into labour by themselves. The second stage of induction is the stage where you're having contractions. So I'll just explain both of those phases in a bit more detail for you. So the first stage, which is the cervical ripening or the cervical opening stage, this can be done in a few different ways. Um, it can be done as either an inpatient or an outpatient as well. So check with your midwife or your hospital whether it's appropriate for you to be able to have this first stage at home or whether they're requiring you to be in the hospital. So when you come in to the hospital for your induction or whether you're having this at home, we firstly start with this cervical ripening phase and there's two ways that this can happen. So you can have mechanical opening of the cervix or chemical opening of the cervix and I'm going to explain both of those. So mechanical means physically opening the cervix whereas chemical means using medication or drugs to open the cervix. So check with your midwife what's offered at your hospital because different hospitals will have different induction processes. So we'll start with the mechanical opening um, and that is done using a balloon. So I know that sounds a bit strange, but a small catheter, so that's a small tube, is inserted into your vagina and through the cervix. And then a balloon is inflated on either side of the cervix and it presses on it from both sides and that pressure causes the cervix to open. This is a really good method of induction, particularly if you've had a previous cesarean as it doesn't involve any drugs. Now this balloon can stay in anywhere from 12 to 24 hours, depending on your hospital policy. It might fall out, which is usually a good sign because it means your cervix is opened. But if it doesn't fall out, once the time is up, your doctor or your midwife will remove it. And then hopefully your cervix is nice and open so that your waters can be broken. This is a really safe method of induction. You do feel like there is something inside of you, but it's not painful. And actually, the reason this is quite a good method to open the cervix is because you won't necessarily be having contractions, but your cervix is opening. Now, for some women, once the cervix does start to open, your body kind of realises and catches on and decides to go into labour by itself. But that isn't the aim of the balloon. So the aim of the balloon is to open the cervix, but not to give you contractions. So in that respect, it's actually quite a nice method of induction because it's not uncomfortable. So although you feel the balloon is there, you're not in pain. So it's a really nice, gentle way to open your cervix. Now, chemical opening of the cervix is one that involves medication. And there's two types of medication that are commonly used to open or ripen the cervix. The first one is a pessary and the second one is a gel. And they both contain prost prostaglandins, which are the hormone that ripens the cervix. Prostaglandins, again, don't necessarily cause contractions. Oxytocin is the hormone that causes contractions. Prostaglandins open the cervix. But for some women, prostaglandin release will stimulate them to go into labour and start having contractions. Now, the pessary usually lasts for about 24 hours, and it's like a really small tampon that's inserted high, high up into your vagina behind your cervix. 
the gel is, is a gel um, and that lasts about six hours and it's squirted up into a similar spot so really high up in the vagina behind the cervix after you've had the gel or the pessary we then check to see how open your cervix is to see if it's open enough to break your waters if it isn't then you'll have further medication it might be that you're having another gel it depends on your hospital's policy so just check so for both of the chemical and the mechanical methods of opening your cervix, the aim is not for you to have contractions. Although if you do, that's fantastic. It means that your body is trying to help and go into labour by itself. But the aim of both of those methods is to open your cervix enough to break the waters. Now that can last quite a long time. So the balloon and the pessary can be in there for at least 24 hours. The gel is only for six hours, but you might have more than one gel. So that first stage of induction does take quite a long time. So I would always say um, to come prepared. So bring books, put loads of Netflix shows on your iPad and bring that with you. Because actually that part of the induction, not so much is happening. So you might not be in any pain. Um, so you've got plenty of time on your hands. So read your books, read your magazines, and um, all of those things that you're not going to be able to do later on in the labour when you are in pain. So um, I always say, yeah, pack lots of things to entertain yourself because induction can take a long time. After this first cervical ripening stage of the induction, hopefully by this point, we're ready to break your waters. Now this is called artificial rupture of membranes, or sometimes we call it ARM. Um, and to do this, we do a vaginal examination. So we put two fingers inside of your vagina and we put something called an amni hook in between our fingers. So that's a long plastic stick with a very small hook on the end. So we pop that through your cervix in between our fingers and use it to pop the waters. So at this point, it shouldn't feel too dissimilar to any of the examinations that you've had so far. So um, to put the balloon in or to put the pessary in or to have a sweep, it should be, it should be feeling fairly similar to those. Um, you shouldn't feel the stick itself because we put it in between our fingers um, and the hook is so, so, so very tiny that you won't feel the physical act of the waters being broken because you don't have any nerve endings in the membrane sac. So once your waters are broken, you'll feel lots and lots of fluid leaking out of you. And that's actually going to keep coming until your baby is born. So you'll keep leaking from the point that your waters are broken up until the point that you give birth. And the midwife will be all constantly checking the colour of your, your pads um, just to make sure that the waters are a good colour. And the colour that we want them to be is either clear, pink or straw colour. We don't want them to be green or brown. And, but as I said, your midwife will be checking that for you. Now at this point, once you've had your waters broken, it depends on the hospital policy. So it might be that we, you're given some time to see if your body takes over with the labour. Um, now some hospitals will choose to move straight on to the next phase, but others will give you some time. And during that time, it's a really good opportunity to encourage your body to go into labour. So bouncing on your ball, walking up and down the stairs, all those sorts of things, just to really help your body try and do the labour by itself. Obviously, um, we want your body to do as much as it can without the intervention. So having a pause at this point after your waters have been broken to see if the body takes over can be really beneficial. Now, obviously, if there are reasons that we need to move the induction on a bit quicker, then we'll move straight on to the next step. But hopefully, it, it, hopefully your, your hospital policy will allow for you to try and go into labour by yourself for a few hours. But after that, 
if you haven't gone into labour or there's not very many contractions, we start the second stage of induction, which is the stage where you have contractions. Now, this is the oxytocin drip, which is commonly known as syntocinol. We can't start the syntocinol drip until your waters have broken. So that's why we've gone through all of that earlier stage with the balloon or the, the pessoine gel to open your cervix enough to pop your waters. So that's why that stage has to come first. And then we start this syntocinol drip. So this is where you'll start to have contractions if you haven't done so already. So what happens is you have a little drip put into your hand or your arm and we start off with a really really small amount of the oxytocin drip and we turn it up every so often to titrate the medication until you're having around three to four contractions in a 10 minute period now during this point you'll be on the ctg machine which is the machine with the belts so we're listening to the baby's heartbeat and we're also monitoring how often you're having contractions so once you're having three to four contractions in a 10 minute period, we don't turn up the drip anymore. We leave it at that level and carry on with the labour. Um, and throughout the labour, you'll be on the CTG machine the entire time. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be sat down on the bed. Um, obviously, you've got your drip in your hand, which will be on a drip stand. So that's mobile. And most of the CTG machines, actually, the wires do stretch fairly far. So it might be that you can sit on a ball or a beanbag or a chair next to the CTG rather than CTG machine rather than being on the bed. Or lots of units also have wireless CTG machines as well. So ask your midwife if they've got a wireless CTG or something called a telemetry, which means that obviously you have a much greater um, range of movement if you're using that. And um, so during this stage of the induction process, we usually do a vaginal examination around every four hours to check the progress of your cervical dilation. And um, sometimes we do them a little bit sooner if there are clinical indications, but we try not to do them very often because we know that they're not so comfortable for you. And also any examination after the waters have been broken has a really, really small risk of infections. So obviously we want to keep that to an absolute minimum. So once you're um, having the, the oxytocin drip and you're having your contractions and um, we just try to leave you alone as much as possible to labour so and um, we'll be popping you on the machine doing the examinations looking um at your observations and making sure that you're okay supporting you through this labour and um, pain relief as you require it but at this point the labour should just be very very similar to a non-induced labour so we try and treat you as if um, these contractions are very, very similar to contractions that you would have been doing yourself without the oxytocin drip. Um, and hopefully you will go on to have um, a really lovely birthing experience. Now, around 15% of women who have an induction will have an assisted or an instrumental birth. So that's either a kiwi or a full delivery. And around 22% of women will have an emergency cesarean. So the vast majority of women who have an induction will go on to have an unassisted vaginal birth. So induction really isn't anything to be overly um, scared about. And I think if you break it down into these different sections, actually, you'll see that the cervical ripening stage very very similar to early labor which you would be experiencing at home and then the second phase where you're having contractions is the same as a regular um second stage of labor so um 
well the first and second stage of labor so you you I always think to women just approach it like regular labor yes we've helped you out a little bit but actually your body is doing those contractions just with a little bit of help so I think that approaching it in these little sections breaking it down can be a really good way of sort of climbing the mountain as such so you know you doing the cervical ripening stage which is when you're getting to base camp and then obviously once you are starting to have the contractions and you're going through the labor once you give birth you are at the peak of the mountain and um, so that's a really nice analogy that we use in our hospital to describe induction of labor as climbing the mountain and um, so that is induction in a nutshell really it's quite a complicated process but i think if you break it down into those sections it becomes a lot easier to Get your head around and actually that first stage when your cervix is being opened um should just be relatively pain-free for you um, and then that second stage is when 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 the action starts to happen a little bit more so in that first stage as i said previously make sure that you've got lots of entertainment lots of snacks lots of um water so that you can occupy yourself whilst you're waiting for that the more exciting contraction stage and um, so that is that is induction. Um, and as I said, it's really nothing to be frightened of because the vast majority of women who have an induction will go on to have an unassisted vaginal birth. And I know that a lot of people do worry about intervention rates. And yes, it's true. Once you start one intervention, you may be more likely to experience others. But actually, when we look on the whole, most women won't need any extra help after we have helped you into the labour. listening and for more information on the next class please visit our website or email us helpingmums at moki.eu thank you